0: Today is May 14th, 2018, and you're listening to Human Factors Cast, Episode 90. Today, we're breaking down Google's announcements from I.O. 2018, discussing the FAA's local airspace testing, and what the heck is a COM interface? We'll find out today. Human Factors Cast starts right now. Welcome to Human Factors Cast. Your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of, wow, I'm messing this up too. Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today, as always, by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Nick, don't feel bad. We're doing a bunch of shows tonight for everybody, so this is good.
0: It's okay. And special guest, Brian McDonald's here. Hey, everyone. So, Brian, you are actually one of our Patreon subscribers, one of our listeners, and you help contribute to our uh, UXPA bonus episode that we are launching um, this week alongside this episode. So, uh, welcome to the show. You're here to hang out with us. Uh, you couldn't, you, you know, we uh, we didn't scare you away with the UXPA bonus episode, so you're here to stay. But, Blake, I, I, I want to know, what's what's this Rode mic arm that you have going on here in the show notes?
1: Okay, man. So, w- when I originally bought my mic arm, like I just bought the cheapest one that I could for the show. We've been doing this for like Nick said 90 episodes, so I was willing to put money into it because like this, I would notice every once in again and Nick would tell me or I'd be on other phone calls. You could like hear the springs going up and down making like springy noises on the microphone. Uh, so I just replaced it with a mic arm and now it is completely quiet. And it doesn't make any noise and the adjustability of it is amazing. I don't I don't know. I just really enjoy it. And I don't know, Nick, have you I don't know if you've had this problem, but I tend to like to move this thing around way too much when we're doing shows. Uh and so my actual clamp would come off the deck. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of times that I would, you know, have to almost drop my mic during the show while I was reading notes and have to turn it off and fix it. So I've stopped all those problems with a wonderfully designed Rode mic arm. Well, that's good. I'm glad that it's nice
0: and quiet for you. Um, no, I haven't had any problems with mine. It's it's the same one that you had, the cheapo one. And uh, I guess, you know, if I like spring it, you can probably hear it. If I, uh, here, hang on, let me, let me pump up the, yeah, did you hear that?
1: Yeah, like people would always catch that on calls that I would be on. and I was like, Nick never complains about it, but everybody else does. So here we are.
0: You only bump the mic arm when you're on other calls. Um, I guess so. Brian, what's this Gmail filters? What 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 Gmail filters got you down?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I have a smartwatch. So all of my emails then ping to that. Typically, I have everything filtered out to like promotional social forums and like Two or three emails a day actually leak through into my primary that I actually care about. But in this past week, I don't know what happened, but something on the back end seems to have changed. Now I get like 15 emails in my primary.
0: Well, Gmail just rolled out their big uh, redesign, right? So I I wonder if that has anything to do with it, um, whether or not the, the front end piece of it is affected. I mean, you still have the folders, right?
2: Yeah, I still have the folders. I'm just now like, yes, send to that folder. Yes, hmm. send to that folder the way it should have been.
0: That's interesting. I yeah, I wonder if there was some sort of reset um, when
1: you know they did their redesign or, or something. I don't, I don't know. So is that only on your smartwatch or are you also having problems in your actual inbox? Oh, it's actually in my inbox
2: too. But I care less about my inbox being cluttered than my personal space being annoyed by the buzzing
1: oh yeah getting like a bunch of buzzy emails and like having to dismiss them and send them other places that would be really annoying especially if you're using like some kind of wearable like that
0: yeah yeah so okay so uh blake i know you're kind of pressed for time here so i'm gonna move us along a little bit i i have this thing i had this problem this week with iCalendar. i can save that till next week because we gotta we gotta keep going because i know you gotta you got a hard stop here in about Forty minutes um but brian i just want to let everyone know again that you helped us break down uxpa uh, 2018 be sure to check that out if you haven't already um and i do want to announce we're doing this new thing uh this is a t-shirt contest so if you're a listener of the show and um you want you want to support the human factors cast merch we're doing something to give back to you guys w- because you give to us so much uh so the way you enter this contest is between now, so this is Monday, May 14th, around 5 p.m., uh, between now and May 31st, leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice, whatever that is. Uh, send us an email at humanfactorscast at gmail.com with a screenshot of your review. Like I said, it has to be after uh, this show airs um, and to, to prove that you are indeed listening to the show and uh, want you know, in this competition contest. What is it called? I don't know. Uh, And then (laughs) let us know in that email if you want a male or female size shirt and uh, what size. And we'll pick our winners on the 31st of May and and get in contact with you to see where we send that. So again, uh, between now and May 31st, leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice. Send that in to humanfactorscast at gmail.com. All right. So upcoming events, we got AHFE uh, in Orlando, Florida. That's July twenty-one through twenty-five. We got HFES in Philly. Uh, we might have some exciting news about that, so stay tuned. And then we have HFES Australia coming to Perth, and that's in uh, November twenty-six through twenty-eight. Okay, so you know what? Why don't we go ahead and break down human factors news? This is the part of the show all about human factors news. Uh, This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. You guessed it. It could be anything from medical, transportation, psychology, UX. I don't know. As long as it has to do with the field of human factors, it's fair game. Blake, what do we got up first this week?
1: All right. So first, we're going to break down everything from Google's conference last week of IO18. So, guys, I don't know how you want to break this up. Who wants to go first? Who's looking to break... Break down stories first
0: Alright so what we did was we each went through And selected two so I I guess What we could do is Wow I didn't even mean for all that to rhyme I guess what we could do is Brian uh, you have the first one here which is Pretty Please Um, Why don't you go ahead and describe what this is And let's just talk about them
2: Yeah so Pretty Please Is a feature that Is specifically geared towards kids But it requires you to say Please or it just won't Listen to you Whereas Siri will do whatever you say. If you don't say please to your Google assistant, so they'll this, just ignore you.
0: So this whole concept is to kind of teach children good manners, right? Like uh, basically the difference is if I were to say Alexa, turn off the lights uh, or Google, turn off the lights. Um, you know, if you're trying to teach kids good manners, when they ask for something, you're so this, this mode, if you will, will require kids to say okay google please turn off the lights
2: yeah and i actually wish they still baked in a feature so it only worked like 98 percent of the time because you know life is hard <laughs> <laughs> and Building right now extra
1: resistance for them
2: well right now a lot of these this is a really good feature because it can Kids will just be demanding, and that is the response mechanism they get. The more demanding they are, the better things work for them, which is not necessarily how we want people to grow up.
0: No, that's right. And I wonder, so this, is, this brings up an interesting thing. Can you activate this for certain voice profiles, right? So if I have a child, could I, uh, like, let's say I have a niece who grows up, and I don't want her to be a, a little... Uh, uh, a little prick when she <laughs> grows up, right? Can can I activate it just for her voice, right? Where if I say Alexa, turn off the lights, or or sorry, Google, okay, Google, turn off the lights. Um, but it recognizes that it's my voice. But when she speaks, she has to say, please turn off the lights. Is that a thing yet, or, or is that the next step? I don't know. That should be a thing. Does Google? I don't know. I'm I'm unfamiliar with the Google Home platform. Does that does do they already have voice profiles? I, know Alexa I don't does.
1: know, I, I, I'm wondering if they do Because I know when I was yes, using Android Yes, that's actually how it works Oh, perfect
2: Yeah, I found an article And you create profiles for your children They'll need to train to recognize Google To recognize their voice Excellent But so then it's for the children So you can still be a jerk
0: yeah, that's that's do great. as
2: I say, not as I do.
0: That's excellent. <laughs> All right, so uh, because we're pressed for time, I'm going to move on to the next one. So, Brian, you and I both picked this one out um, because this one is really cool. This one, uh, I mean, cool is uh, is one word for it, right? So, there's um, this Google Assistant becomes a real assistant, and basically, what this does is now Google Assistant will actually go out of your way or out of its way. It's a computer to make calls to schedule things like reservations or hair hair appointments or things like this and um it it basically uses artificial intelligence to interact with an actual human on the other side of the phone and you know in some of these clips you're you're hearing these conversations and the human i i almost feel like this passes the turing test in a way
2: oh definitely because they added bits like human um like an actual human would it totally sounded like another human which is awesome because i never want to call my dentist to set up an
0: appointment yeah i wish i had a uh sound clip here i think i think i got one queued up if if this does not play the way i think it does let me forgive me but i think i have a sound clip here of this thing
1: so what you're going
0: to hear is the google assistant actually calling a real salon ...to schedule the
1: appointment for you. I'll have
3: something out for you? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm That's looking for AI. something on May 3rd. Sure, give me That's mm yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15.
2: That was a real call you just heard.
0: So so that's that's the actual AI calling a haircut place to schedule an appointment. And, um, you know, this, this introduces... I mean, we could get into a whole podcast on this, but this introduces a lot of ethical concerns, right? Like, this person doesn't know that they're talking to a robot. Is it Google's place to disclose that information ahead of time? Like, hey, you're about to talk to a robot. Is it their place to disclose it afterwards? Um, it, you know, like, what is sort of the ethics around this. There's a lot of interesting conversation to be had about this. Yeah, and what's it
2: gonna do to, like, telephone scammers? Oof.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it gonna, like... Is it going to accept things on your behalf for from telephone scammers? Like, I don't know. Um, well, no, I was thinking, like, using this technology for scammers. to
2: Like, really take those robocalls to the next level.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that's most impressive to me is that they are indeed using those human mannerisms like um and hmm to indicate uh, uh to, to hide mm-hmm. the processing behind the scenes right the hmm or um means it is it is processing behind the scenes trying to think of what the next appropriate response is and it's masking that with
1: human-like responses it's crazy i mean that's insane it's almost making me in between, like, really nervous for something like what Brian just mentioned and wanting to switch back to Android so I can use this. Because I, like, I either run out of time or sometimes I just don't want to have to, like, call a bunch of places, like, getting a haircut or making doctor's appointments. And this would save me so much effort and time that it would just be amazing.
0: It's just a button on your device, right? And you just say this, this, and this. And it calls and does all the dirty work for you. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's... um. Yeah, it's something else. That's, that's for damn sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't believe how incredible it sounded. I mean, even with the ums and, uh, let me think about that, that kind of stuff is just so well put together. AI is just blowing my mind today.
0: Definitely. All right, so why don't we get into this next one? This one, Blake, you picked out. You want to go over it?
1: Yeah, this one's really interesting to me. And we've, I've, I've thought about this a lot over the last couple of months, especially. But this is like a suite of tools called Digital Wellbeing that Google's putting together. And the high level idea is that it's a dashboard for your Android systems that kind of gives you a breakdown of how much you're using specific apps and also giving you like gentle reminders about, like, hey, you've been watching YouTube or using another application for a while maybe you should like take a break and that kind of stuff and it's really just trying to give you some notifications that send you to like a once a daily recap of how much information you've been connected to all day and maybe trying to get you to try and disconnect from it so i mean this this kind of ties into a lot of the stuff we talked about i think last week right where we have we're, we're interacting with technology and there's like Kids are interacting with it from such a young age, and trying to build in stuff that's really monitoring how how much time is being spent and where it's being spent, and maybe trying to push you to you know live your life outside of tech for a little bit of little bit of time a day is like a really helpful idea. And I really like that Google is putting putting some effort into kind of trying to put this into a dashboard, and also like building in friendly reminders to you to kind of get you to look away from your screens for some part of the day. Uh,
0: unpopular opinion time. I don't know if this will necessarily do anything. I think it's a good. Uh,
1: uh,
0: okay, okay. I want to hear your. I want to hear, hear your opinion here.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't. I honestly don't think so. I mean, it's it's a conscious choice thing. I mean, if you. I've got a note in here that I left. When this happens to me on Netflix and Hulu, I personally feel bad. And I realize that I've been sitting here binging on television and really haven't done anything for hours. And so I'll make myself like do a workout or get up and go out. It's definitely going to be a person-by-person basis thing. But also, too, we're talking – it might be important for maybe parents, right, if they're able to get a breakdown of dashboards for what their, what their kids are doing and where they're spending – a bunch of time, um, but as far as like making people get up and do stuff, yeah, you're right. I don't know how how effective the kind of intervention will be, unless they like jump into gamification or something else down the line.
0: The only way I see this as being effective is if they, yeah, if they implement some sort of controls over it, right? Like, let's say uh, you only have x, like parental controls with video games. They have uh, controls where you can say, okay, after x amount of time my child on this profile cannot play this game anymore. Um, It literally does not launch it, right? And you have to have an admin profile, a parent profile, in order to prevent them from doing it. And I think something like that could be really useful for the phone where you have these apps that take a lot of time like let's say i play this mobile game while i'm on a podcast with you guys and you know my google can sense that and then it says okay nick you're you're trying to do this podcast and people are listening to this and and uh, you should probably get off now like it knows every monday between these hours i'm doing that or you know let's say i've been on for five hours today i haven't but let's say i have been and it says okay you're cut off because you set these things into place and the only way to get around that would be to log into my admin profile that's separate from my everyday profile. Um, a little bit of a hassle, right? So I don't know. I, th- that's the only way I can see this something like this being effective.
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely needs more to it, right? But I, I don't know. I'm one of those people that I get I get worried for my own personal consumption because I, I consume a lot of content from podcasts to YouTube videos to reading my emails all the time, and I spend very little time away from either my laptop or my phone. And so these little kind of friendly reminders for me personally would be helpful, right? To be like, hey, go get up and do something because I'm not really big into wearing like smartwatches and devices that keep me in tune to how long I've been either sitting or paying attention to my software but i totally agree i mean this this is a step in the right direction but it needs more
0: yeah like even fitbit fitbit tells me every hour hey you know you've only made this many steps you need to get 250 get up and sometimes i just i I ignore it it's like i don't i don't know maybe maybe it's just a personality thing and i think um you're a little bit more into fitness than i am so (laughs) that, that could be an issue too on my part but um I don't know i just don't see this as being effective for the vast majority of people all right i'm going to move us along here uh the next one that i picked here was google uses your camera to help you figure out which direction you're facing in maps and this is for for people who are walking um so a little bit there sorry so this is um basically you have this problem where you're using where you're using Google Maps, right, and you're trying to sort of uh, figure out which direction you're trying to head, and what Google what this new solution is doing here is that you are uh, it will basically hop in and try to figure out which direction you're facing by using the camera, and uh, you know you're you're basically trying to. Um, You know, find out which direction. I know you guys are having a hard time hearing me because of there's something going on in the environment here, but um, yeah, essentially, you're just looking for a uh, a direction by using the camera. I don't know. Can you guys hear me okay now? (laughs)
1: uh kind of you're getting we've got a little bit of a hum going but uh you want to break down what you were talking about you're i think you were going into the google camera deal
0: yep i was just saying it's it uses the camera to figure out which way you're facing but blake why don't we're we're short for time why don't we go ahead and get into this last one here i'll let you talk about it
1: okay so This is an interesting little story about Google and Waymo. So they're working together to kind of improve the way that self-driving cars perform in bad weather, which I don't know about you guys, but I am horrible at driving in the rain. So anything to help me out during that time would be great. Uh, So this includes kind of identifying and protecting pedestrians in ways that humans may not be able to. So kind of like spotting somebody that may be working off in the distance and kind of having your car make decisions based off of what it sees so really just giving ai another more powerful route to make decisions for you when you're driving so this this kind of overcomes any kind of vision issues you might get in the rain or snow and it and with google and waymo the hope is that you're kind of getting a little bit closer to that truly autonomous vehicle that everybody's kind of really trying to move towards and i know in the recent past we've had a lot of problem or the big incident with Uber in the last, uh, you know, few months, and this is this is pro- probably seems far fetched, but I'm glad that they're actually working on it because this this kind of stuff and proof of concept of AI and being used in this way can really benefit everybody overall.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think you're spot on the money there. I think, um, you know, we're we're going to talk about automated vehicles here in a second, but any steps in order to sort of uh, make make automation. Especially with these vehicles, easier, right? Then, then that's good.
1: I, I, I like this. I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> well, I think this is really important too, just because, like, we're talking about AI in automated cars. But this, it, this should really be a really hard proof of concept for this, because we're talking about probably the most intensive portion of driving, like trying to drive in snow or sleet or in really hazardous conditions, and in. The thought being, I think, is that if AI can handle these really adverse conditions very well in a in a in a tested environment and then an applied environment, then we should feel much much safer that trust should start to really build for just general driving, right? Because now AI is much, much better able to handle these adverse situations. So now we've kind of we've we've tested and built the ability for it to, you know, do what's really difficult and then also excel at, you know, the everyday driver type of stuff, like like out in the the beautiful, normal day we get in California, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think this is a good segue into the next story. So why don't you go ahead and break down the next story? And we can kind of talk about these together.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So the expectation that automated vehicles will make driver's job, jobs easier, especially if they've been behind the wheel for an extended period, may be more than a little flawed, according to a study by the Human Factors and Ergonomics researchers at Texas Tech University. So in a newly published Human Factors article, called Driver Vigilance in Automated Vehicles, Hazard Detection Failures Are a Matter of Time. That's That's a pretty enticing title. But the researchers evaluated whether increased time on the road could reduce drivers' ability to detect and respond appropriately to an automation failure. So to test the role of vigilance in automated driving, the researchers asked 22 young adults to drive a simulated automated vehicle for about 40 minutes. The driver's task was to observe vehicles stopped at intersections and distinguish between those that were positioned safely versus those that were positioned unsafely, as such as like a roadway hazard that simulated vehicle automation. Vehicle automation could not be detected. Participants then pressed a button on their steering wheel to indicate a, danger, a dangerous vehicle. The drivers detected 30 percent fewer hazards at the end of the drive than at the beginning, and they also tended to react more slowly to hazards as the drive progressed. Additionally, participants reported in a post-task questionnaire that monitoring for automation failures was difficult and stressful, which I mean that makes a lot of sense, Nick, right? Because if you're when we're talking about kind of a a vigilance task, even, even if participants are not really aware of it, when you're having to do something more of like a kind of passive in addition to your main task, it gets very taxing on your like short-term memory and your ability to really, you know, think outside of what your main task is.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, this, this all comes back to the issue of keeping the human in the loop, right? When you're talking about these automated systems and this is just another, so, so with this, right, we're, we're talking about vigilance within uh, uh, this 40 minute sort of simulation. And uh, of course at the end, they're going to detect less and they're going to be more stressed if you know, they're, they're basically the amount of external variables that, uh, could go wrong increases, then they're going to become more stressed and, um, you know, taxed as, as these drivers who are out of the loop trying to get into the loop. Right. So this is just kind of illustrating that no matter how much automation there is, there could be a failure and they're, they're trying to get back to that automation state. Um, and, and, Figure out what is hazardous, what is not, and uh, react to the situation that they're in. But if they're, um, but but to monitor everything that's going on while the automation is taking place, you're not sure what decisions it's making. This all makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah, it, it, this is such a fun conversation, Nick, because I like getting into this with you because you have very diverse opinions. And it's it's how do you even deal with having something like this in a car? Because like, for me, when we're talking about adding automation into the car, like if it's if it's kind of automating specific tasks within like putting voice controls in there so you can control the dash or you can control what you're listening to or make phone calls, that's one thing. But now if we're really talking about adding automated tools that are going to help drivers, you know, do their main task, that just presents so many problems to me and really just exacerbates the importance of developing much more robust, automate, fully automated vehicles in this case. Because, I mean, these these studies are going to continue to show, like, in trying to show that humans are at some point able to identify automation failures, well, we're going to have to add in so much information to communicate to a user at all times that I, I don't know that the benefit's really going to ever get to that, get to the same point as it will with maybe just having a fully autonomous car that has fail-safes for when things go wrong.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Brian, do you have any experience with uh, automated vehicles? yourself i do not
2: but I, just reading this article i was thinking the whole growth until we get to the level five no human needed automation is going to be rough but once we get there it'll be sweet
0: yeah hopefully i mean this is yeah this is dealing with uh well even if it's lo- level five complete no human automation right the, there's still the issue of what if there is an automation failure and how do you keep the human understanding of what the automation is doing in that moment and aware of all the sort of hazards out in the environment that they will have to react to if that automation does fail, right? The hope is that... Yeah, I guess to me,
2: if you get the automation advanced enough, it's kind of like if you're in a plane and your pilot like passes out or something, it's so unlikely that you're probably like just not gonna hop in to the pilot seat you're just not even gonna notice
0: no but think about it from that same sort of plane analogy right think about it the the automation the system is operating status quo and then all of a sudden you have a blown engine that is something that the operator the the pilot in this case was not aware of um, until it happened, and then they had to react. And that story from Southwest that we had a couple weeks ago, that's a perfect example of something like that, where they were on autopilot, they, automation was fully taking over, and then boom, engine failure, and they had to react to it. And fortunately enough, they had enough situation awareness. They were they were monitoring all the systems. They were they were understanding of where they were um, in geospace. They were understanding what was around them. They remained calm and talked to air traffic control. But in a car, you're not going to have someone as disciplined as that pilot. And so I, it's it's just an issue I think that we're going to have to deal with at some point, right? The automated systems shutting down and and having to. Uh, sort of combat that uh, like how just how do you how do you keep you know with with minimal effort the the, the driver of the car aware of what's going on I don't know it's, it's a it's a pretty intense topic um, that we could do a whole podcast on honestly
2: <laughs> yeah my just a uh, three-second thought is at some point we're just gonna have to assume that the person isn't paying attention because otherwise you're gonna have to have like a person with a driver's license that's sober and awake behind the automated car which at the end of the day may not make sense
0: i completely agree i mean that's that's uh what google's answer to this whole thing right is take the human completely out of it right if the thing fails it just pulls over to the side of the road and that's it uh so i mean there are different approaches but i don't know um blake do you have any other thoughts on that one before we move on
1: uh, honestly, I agree with both of you guys. I think it just ultimately is going to come down to if we're going to go the automated route, which I think makes a lot of sense for so many reasons from like the smart city concept of having cars that come and get you and people not owning as many cars and all of that kind of stuff. It just it comes down to... Designing these fail safe modes and what that really means how that can potentially impact people's lives like if something fails and it has to pull off to the road. What do you do in terms of like emergencies like just exploring those options is really the only way to get to I think a viable solution for fully autonomous cars. And it's going to take testing like like the last story and doing studies like this to really push the limits of what AI can do now and understand where those limitations are when it comes to putting cars in a really hazardous situation. Uh, and just ultimately stress testing the situation and de- deriving what can be done in each in each instance.
0: That's a great point you brought up AI, and that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but where I just want to thank all of our friends over at the Next Web, Science, Science Daily, uh, Times of San Diego, and Fast Co Design for all of our stories this week. If you guys want to follow along, you can follow us all over social media or join us on Slack for links to the original articles. Uh, so Blake, what do we got up next? This is a little close to home here.
1: Yeah, this was a personal favorite of mine for sure. So San Diego, home for me and Nick, was selected as one of 10 state and local governments to work with the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, to integrate autonomous drones into the local airspace. So San Diego's program will include projects like flying medical specimens to UC San Diego for expedited results, food testing delivery from restaurants to consumers with Uber, that's amazing, and enhancing public safety by deploying drones in advance for first responders. So this list of local government data gathered from their pilot projects would form the basis for a new unmanned aircraft systems integration pilot project program will tackle most significant challenges in integrating drones into national airspace while reducing San Diego in the project include notable names such as of course Qualcomm and Uber designation by the US Department of Transportation which selected San Diego as a region for one of 10 autonomous vehicle testing sites in the nation in 2017 man it's never been a better time to be in San Diego in my opinion because it's bringing some of my favorite things together especially autonomous drones and piloted drones and getting them into the airspace. So So guys, what do you think about this? Are you as excited as I am?
0: So you're telling me I could order my lunch and have it delivered by drone directly to our office. Is that what you're saying?
1: Nick, I'm telling you this. I'm saying you could order your lunch by drone, have it delivered to a location you would like to go, and then have an autonomous car come pick you up and take you to that location where you can have a nice secluded lunch. Okay,
0: okay, let's take it one step further. Let's Let's say I did all that, and I ordered, like, the most fattening thing I could have. And then I have a heart attack. And then the paramedics can send a drone ahead of time to kind of prepare the scene before they
1: get there. Right? And that's the next step? Yeah, man. They could just connect it to your Fitbit and make all those assessments. And you wouldn't even have to do anything besides order the food. This is awesome. I'm so excited.
2: Cool. <laughs> yeah, they'll just deliver the EMT soon with the burrito.
1: There
0: you go. <laughs> Yeah, if, uh, if you're unfamiliar, San Diego has the best burritos. I don't care what anyone else says. I'm looking at you, Texas. San Diego has the best burritos. Sorry,
1: guys. Not debatable.
0: <laughs> not, uh, Yeah, not. I mean, just, just come here. We will show you around. Get you a good burrito.
1: But, yeah. But, like, all joking aside, this is awesome that this is happening in San Diego, especially with such great companies that are getting involved in it, like Qualcomm, who basically powers everything from your smartphone to your supercomputer, and then that Uber is rolling into this as well. Uh, Because I I honestly didn't realize or don't remember if we reported on the fact that we're one of the autonomous vehicle testing sites that's been approved. But, man, I've just got, like, such a real big passion for UAVs that this is just really cool to see. It's being tested out in the open in San Diego to develop this integration program. Because I know that's been a big stress for the FAA over the past, like, uh, at least since I've been in grad school.
0: Yeah. So let me let me also say, you know, this is on our radar because we are in San Diego. We work in San Diego. This is from San Diego, uh, T- Times of San Diego, right? Th- that's the news source. But to be fair, there are 10 other. Um state and local governments working on this, right? So it's not just San Diego. This is Alaska, Florida, Kansas, Nevada, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Virginia. These are the other places uh, that this is going on. So yes, it's close to us. We can talk about it from the San Diego perspective, but this is not just us. This is going all over the country here. Um, So it's exciting. You're right that we're sort of breaking out of this uh, sort of shyness when it comes to these UAVs, and integrating these automated and piloted um, drones around our airspace, right? And it's going to be an an especially tricky challenge here in San Diego, right? There's a lot of military around us. There's the Navy. Um, Especially near us, we have uh, Miramar, which is an Air Force base. Um, And then you have, uh, you know, up north in in, uh, northern San Diego County, you have uh, Camp Pendleton. So there's a lot of Marine airspace, Marine, Navy, Air Force airspace going on. And it'll be interesting to see how these things interact with sort of that restricted area, right? And and what the FAA deems as the um, appropriate operating zones, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think maybe that's why this is a good place to test it because we have so many we have so many special classes of airspace, but also everything hitting from like low, medium to high. So, cause we've, we've got a, we've got a big central airport and plus all of these military bases that actively are running either kind of SIM drones or having, you know, flight tests, that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a good place to get it, get it, get some of the kinks worked out and maybe some of the integration space um, and really kind of set the barriers high for like what, what classes can you enter and what can't you enter. And then we've got the whole, other side of it which is like the video camera aspect of a drone um which even if it's kind of piloted by a local authority i mean what implication does that have if it's spotting anything that's like going Crime. on military wise what does that mean just a whole bunch of others other other implications so i think along with the 10 other places i think there's a really gr- it was a really great choice to start in san diego as one of the 10
0: yeah i agree all right i know i know you're pressed for time you got about eight minutes so let's i want to make sure we get into this last story here um Cause this is this is an interesting one for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, this uh, this comes like from Brian's side of town from MIT. So researchers at MIT's Media Lab believe that human beings are losing the battle against phones and laptops. The screens are enslaving us. Pro- programs are vampri- vampirizing our minds. And to fight this di- digital overload. Researchers are working on a user experience that don't constantly demand our attention and actually use natural elements to make us feel more connected to the physical world that has an intimately, that's been intimately tied to our species for the last 2.8 million years. That's, that's a long while. So these interfaces are referred to as calm interfaces. So for example, using an element like water, so a natural material which itself is a symbol of being calm, the MIT Tangible Media Group is developing programmable droplets for interaction. So using kind of the water model for interacting with technology. So through a technique called electrowetting, the researchers can use a use current to control droplets of water placed on a grid. They can make the droplets actually move, morph into different shape and Shapes and merge together or split apart. This effect is definitely magical, but it could change the way that we look at technology. So leave it to MIT to blow my mind for the week. I can't even really fathom how all this is kind of gonna come together, because this is when I first read the story, of course, I thought like, oh, okay, yeah, using the metaphor of water droplets, kind of like trying to make you feel like you're in a more natural space. But no, this is just talking about like using electrical grid and actually using elements like water or sand to kind of replace elements that we have on digital screens
0: yeah I mm, this is one of those things that to me is just uh I can't find a practical application for and maybe that's just my lack of imagination with this but I mean the one application I saw was uh, drawing a message and then having that message appear on a steamed mirror that somebody just took a shower by, but then then you then you're relying on a mirror that is steamed. Um, are you shaking your head at me because you you can think of a million applications for this because I, I absolutely can't.
1: <laughs> are you talking to me? Yeah. No, I I, (laughs) unfortunately, Nick, I was trying to think of that and I looked at the gift they have and I'm just very confused about the application of this at all. Um, And then when you gave the example of the message for the steam on the mirror, like that's that's amazing that we can do that. But what utility is that providing in the long term? How is the How is their idea of it's connecting us back to more physical elements really? playing what are they really playing at there and how is it getting us there because that in that case am i still using their phone and it's just showing up on the steam shower that's kind of like a cool parlor trick but application wise i maybe my imagination's not being active enough or i'm just unsure of what really this brings to the table
0: i don't know brian i'm curious to check in with you to see what your thoughts on this is like blake said this is from your neck of the woods so yeah it
2: definitely seems like uh technology in search of a problem I could totally see it for art, though. I see zero, like, practical uses. But in an art exhibit, I could totally see this being awesome. Like, have an entire wall that then you have different droplets changing colors or changing shape. That could be super cool.
0: Okay, all right. Imagine,
2: so, like, a concert with a wall like this.
0: Okay, so I can, I can see art as well um but as an interaction method i just don't yeah i think we're all on the same page here it's it's a it's an interesting thing for sure but how we're going to use this uh um you know in in how is this going to change the way we interact with things i don't know if it will i honestly don't think it will um but that's just my opinion and i'm curious as to see what some of our other listeners have opinions i'm sure Um, And maybe they're thinking of something that we're not, maybe something completely obvious. So if that's the case, uh, do reach out to us on Slack and uh, tag us all in it and say, you guys are all wrong. This is going to change how we go forward forever. Um, Okay, Blake, I know you are tight on time, so we're going to go ahead and skip. It came from Reddit this week. uh,
1: Oh, oh, no, man, we can't skip. It came from Reddit this week. This one's a good one. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay.
0: so you're here. Let's go ahead and pick one. Which which one do you want to get into?
1: Uh honestly, I really like the one you mentioned to me at work earlier. Let's do the pitching the feature to a massive company.
0: Okay, well before I do, you know what, we gotta play that intro. It came from
1: It came from
0: That's right, it came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you stuff the community's talking about. Now, any subreddit's fair game as long as it relates to the field of human factors and encourages discussion among the community. Blake almost didn't want to do this. Wait, I almost didn't want to do this today, but Blake saved it, saved the segment, so we're going to break it down. We did. How would you pitch a feature to a massive company? And this is from the user experience subreddit uh, from, oh, let's see. I'm going to mess this name up. Pigs and pineapple pigs and pineapple uh canadian <laughs> canadian pizza there um or hawaiian pizza that's what it is i'm <laughs> about canadian, bacon, canadian bacon canadian bacon pigs and pineapple okay we're okay we're derailing the show all right so how would you pitch a feature to a massive company by pigs and pineapple on the user experience subreddit we all got some awesome ideas on ways to improve existing products but how would you actually go about doing it for a massive product I've got a portfolio piece I've been working on and even though I'm not expecting it um, to see, I'm not, wait, where where was I? (laughs) I've got a portfolio piece I'm working on and even though I'm not expecting them to hand me a job, I'm genuinely interested to see if any, if it has any legs or if it's, just to get their thoughts on it. Even if nothing happens, it's still a great personal piece for me. The only feasible method I can think of is finding a product manager and cold messaging them, but the product I've built is for is massive. Have you done this before? How did you do it? What happened? Did the first person you reached out to steal your idea and now you're stuck working a heist gig where you force everyone to call you Napster? Okay, there's a lot to decompose here. Uh, let's break this down. So. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with Brian. Brian, have you ever suggested a feature to a massive company? And if so, how did it go?
2: Uh, no, but I have, um, I guess, attempted to run a startup before. And at least in Boston, I can't imagine anyone going to a massive company and actually having anyone talk to them.
0: Yeah, I, I I can't imagine that either. It'd be a little weird walking into the door of some company to say, "Hey, look, I have this idea. You want to hear it?" <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I
2: think it's kind of a wrong question. Maybe how would you pitch a feature to actually get like use? I don't Implemented. know. Implemented hit up a bunch of startups.
0: Yeah, uh, Blake, I'm curious to get your take on it because you wanted to do. It came from Reddit this week because of this question. So let's hear your thoughts on this, man.
1: Yeah, so I've got kind of a different perspective, and it's not a massive company, right? But I have worked at a startup, and I've got I've had to manage a smaller team of, of a developer and a salesperson, and then like a, a designer and myself. And we would come up with features and ideas to integrate into the actual software, and have to you know battle it out. I'm not battling it out is not the way to describe it, but it was sometimes the case, like having to figure out what we're going to say to pitch this stuff. And the biggest thing that I can say is that. One is the mindset that you walk into it with. Like you have to believe in the the feature you're coming. You've like developed with your team or you developed on your own. But also be prepared for the failure aspect of it. And I think that's the biggest thing about pitching anything. Don't be afraid of the fa- if you fail from it, and be ready to learn whatever you can from the situation that you're in. In this guy's case, or this guy or gal's case, uh, I think it's yeah, this pineapple's case with a little side of pigs. Um, I think it's it's kind of a cool concept that they're bringing out. I mean, I don't know what it, what massive company means to, to them. I, when I think massive, I think Amazon, Google, Google yeah. and I don't even know how you're getting that pitch meeting. If you are, please send me a message on how you did that. But, if, but anyway, I mean, if you're taking any kind of idea, especially if it's in a portfolio piece, it sounds like they're having to do more of a presentation based off of portfolio stuff they have. So really, I would say the biggest aspects of that is, make sure you understand how you got to the end result. So be able to tell that story in a very compelling way and know the ins and outs of the story too. So don't don't go in there and be like trying to make things up on the fly. Like have a very proposed idea and have a lot of composure beneath it. And if you're pitching a feature and it's something like this that you've been developing on your own and you have had the time to develop on your own and it's in your portfolio, I think going back to... Okay, this might have been in the other episode. But anyway, really building up behind it some qualitative and quantitative data. Because honestly, if you're talking to big stakeholders, that's what they're going to care about. And they want to know, like, okay, you've come up with this great idea. It's based off of, like, best practices and great stuff in UX or human factors. But have you tested it? Do you have anything tangibly you can show us? So really having that data to back you up is going to be the ultimate kind of trump card at the end of all of it. Hey, and, and...
0: Yep. Oh, good. No, go ahead. Finish your thought.
1: That's, that's kind of it. I mean, just one, be prepared for failure and don't be worried about it. So learn everything you can from every pitch you do, but also two, like have a compelling story and make sure that if you are really going to go and do this, ha- do, do the work that it takes to get there. So have that qualitative and quantitative feedback about what you developed to really show the ROI and potential for it.
0: So uh, nice callback to our UXPA coverage. I like it. Uh, but I, I... So this is an interesting question because it almost seems like they are on the outside of the company looking in. And I, I'm going to offer a different perspective here. Um, you make a great point of pitching a meeting, but that's that's a difficult thing to get. The other way that I would suggest is bitch and moan as much as you possibly can because if they see in their user feedback that they are that they're experiencing this problem, right? Especially if it's a company that's responsive to user feedback... Find the mechanisms by which they listen. Find the ways in which people have been successful before. Bitch and moan through those channels as much as you can about this feature that you wish or this capability. It depends on what it is, right? If it's a capability or if it's a quality of life update or something, bitch and moan through those channels that that are going to get through to them so that way it looks like there's an influx of this data point that may or may not be true, um, but you know, if if you do your part as a as a good Samaritan and submit user feedback and say, "Look, this thing is really upsetting to me," and and do it in a user story as a user, I want to do capability X so that I can user goal, right? Like just just say it that way and and let the company know. And if they're a good company, they'll be responsive to that. Hopefully, that's the hope. And uh, you know, I that's that's my advice: is is go through the proper channels for user feedback. Blake, are you shaking your head at me? Is that?
1: (laughs) No, no, no. I think you're absolutely right, and you know, I think a great outlet for that, and people have had great success with it, um, is using social media for that aspect of it, like really illustrating where the problem is. And you don't even have to do it in kind of the bitching and moaning aspect of it, but actually pointing it out, trying to make a positive impact on a company's kind of product or their process or how they deal with people and their, their how they deal with their own user perspe- or <laughs> their perspective or their prospective customers and that kind of stuff. I mean, there's, there's positive ways to go about it, too. And I think that definitely reaching out to them through different mediums that you can or through people you even know, connections you have on LinkedIn, that kind of stuff to kind of maybe even get you that. You know, seven degrees of freedom in the door type of thing. I I think there's a lot of great ways you can make stuff or have impacts with ideas that you have. You just have to you have to try it to put in the work.
0: Either way, that was a great question. Let's
1: get out of here. That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys
0: think of the stories this week or our thoughts on this this person's pigs and pineapples. Reddit, uh, did you like them? Did you hate them? Let us know. If you guys have any suggestions for topics or news stories that you want us to cover, you can follow us all over social media. Like I said, you can join the discussion in our Slack. Uh, head on over to the Human Factors Cast LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter at H Factors Podcast. Be sure to check out our SoundCloud and leave us a comment. Or you can send us an email at humanfactorscast at gmail.com. If you're feeling old school, you can leave us a voicemail at 901-646-1432. That's 901-646-1HFC. If you want to support us on Patreon like Brian does, you can do that at patreon.com slash humanfactorscast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and review us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, or whatever your favorite podcast directory is. And a reminder, we're doing a t-shirt contest. So between now and May 31st, leave us a review on any of those podcasts things that i said and send us an email at human factors cast with a screenshot of your review uh let us know if you're male or female and what size you want we'll pick our winners on the 31st and get in contact with you and of course you can always check us out on uh, HumanFactorsCast.com. that's our home on the web i want to thank my friends here for being tonight on the show it's late i can't talk blake karnsdorf where can our listeners find you if they want to get in touch with you and talk about common
1: interfaces oh you guys can Talk to me about interfaces on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, at Don'tPanicUX.
0: All right. And Brian McDonald, where can our listeners find you if they want to follow up about all the UXPA coverage? On Twitter, at Brian C. McDonald, and on HFCast Slack. Excellent. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into the, the show this week. Until next time. (laughs) It depends. <laughs> it depends. No, that's, it's late on a Monday.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, Blake, get out of here.
3: Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans, humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so and have the optimum user experience.